Shio Nagad. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Origin Story Podcast. I am your host, Michael Lowell. And once a month, I ask an artist I respect to introduce me to a piece of work or an artist they love. This month, this month, easy for me to say, Stan Merritt is introducing me to A Night in the Lonesome October, and this is our third week of reading. And uh, I'm really excited. We are getting into the crux of things. It feels like things are moving. Uh, it's been fun. Uh, Stan Merritt, how was your week? It's been fine. Thank you. Uh, it was kind of harried a little bit, but um, I'm here and I'm glad it's Saturday and happy Saturday to you. I hope your week's been good as well. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's been good. Something I noticed when I uh, was starting the reading this week was that we are we're starting with today with October 14th, which is, you know, basically halfway done with the chapters, you know, in the mm-hmm. month because of how the book's arranged. But it is only 23% of the book done, <laughs> which I think is very cool that, uh, you know, we've had this nice kind of slow build of establishing our characters and the mood, giving some great hints of the world that we're in and what may or may not happen. Uh, but clearly there was a lot going, a lot, lot, lot left to happen, which is a cool, cool way to, to structure the book, I think. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's back end heavy for sure, for, for obvious reasons, because that suits this kind of narrative. And the buildup's pretty friggin' awesome, if you ask me. And I know you agree. And um, as you, I think crux is a good word. We are definitely getting into the crux of things. Uh, I think our one of our heroes, Snuff, um, makes a comment to that effect, not getting ahead of ourselves, but something. Uh, what he says, clearly the pace is, the pace is quickening. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Getting, so let's go. Getting ready to see how all this goes. Go ahead. <laughs> exactly. Let's go ahead and get into it. And let's just, it was a quick, just a brief, kind of very brief summary of where we were. The last chapter in chapter 13, October 13th, basically that was when we had Needle escaping into Snuff and Jack's house, uh, treating him so nicely. And then uh, some information was exchanged and then Needle leaves. And that's kind of where we are with o- October 14th. That it's, it's so funny when you get ahead and you you've been reading and then you kind of go back and like oh wow where's that's that whole all that started this week and <laughs> what I'm referring to with all that starting is the whole deal with uh this officer we find a corpse right 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 um and what so, significance does this corpse have for right now just what's yeah our, for what's right our now, big it, problem it is it it is a very significant plot point um. So, of course, what you're discussing is a, a London police officer uh, in uniform, a.k.a. a Bobby. There has. And, and it's like I say, it's a, a London police officer who's sh- sauntered into town on a chestnut mare, as I, I believe, a, on a horse. And um, and he uh, they find the horse, you know, running free. And uh, turns out that the the rider of the horse, the policeman, is uh, has been killed. And he, we have a dead body on our hands from a dead body of an interloper, for lack of a better term. That's and, right, and the dead body is close to where Jack and Snuff live. So right. this is no bueno. For, no bueno. Uh, not just yeah. for them, but for really everyone, but mainly for them because I think that's well, that's who we care about, and that's who they care about so much. Yeah. Uh, so we got a problem, but in this conversation, this was, I thought this was really cool because Jack, I mean, because Snuff is worried about Jack, because I guess the way the body was killed, there was a knife wound involved, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we have this great little paragraph here I'm going to read uh, that concerns some fun magical tools. Oh, uh, yeah. 
Jack is supposed to have magical control over a certain ritual blade. Okay, very cool. <laughs> and then uh, we hear, and Owen has a sickle. Rastoff has an amazing icon drawn by a mad Arab who'd given up on Islam. But he could mm. use a kitchen knife. Jill has her broom. She could still find something to quit with. So he's saying basically, you know, uh, oh, and this, and he, so he, uh, Snuff is excited. Like, you know about the icon. Uh, Doc, the Count yeah, probably has the ring, the good doctor, the bowl. Uh, there's just, it's just fun. The, the point of the paragraph is, you know, hey, anybody could do this with a knife. But Absolutely. the cool stuff we get is all this. Absolutely. It's, a re- it's really cool. You're right. It was uh, very clever how he, you know, found a device to list out all of the, all the inventory basically and, and all the magical objects that are at play. And of course this comes, uh, there's speculation by Gray, Gray Malk that, you know, she's the one who doesn't accuse necessarily, but she puts it to snuff that uh, this could very well be Jack's doing. So that's, that's sort of the entry to that list, as you mentioned of, of all the stuff and uh, the stuff's kind of cool. I mean, you, do you want to talk about the objects any? Or, I kind of do. Uh, especially any yeah. ones that any ones that you liked more than the others. I'm curious about that. Or like, well, I've got, a, I've got a very obvious uh, favorite in in this list, and it's um, Rastoff. Uh, Rastoff uh, has an, as you said, an amazing icon drawn by drawn by a mad Arab who'd given up on Islam. This is a very direct, overt um, reference to H.P. Lovecraft's work. Um, the Mad Arab figures prominently in the Lovecraft universe. He is uh, his name is um, Abdul Al Hazred A L H A Z R E D, and he is indeed a, a, a mad monk uh, from the. Uh, I mean, uh, excuse me. He is indeed um, you know from the Middle East, and uh, he um, he is the author of the probably the most well definitely the most important book in the H.P. Lovecraft universe, which is the dreaded Necronomicon. And the Necronomicon has been in lots of offshoot movies. You remember the Evil Dead movies. And yeah, it's a, so it's a dreaded tome that contains blasphemous, arcane secrets of the universe and, and uh, it, you know, all, all of these portenses and, and all of these, um, this cosmic dread that this Arab has discovered. And, uh, he kind of, he goes nuts and he goes into like a, what's it called? Uh, ex, oh gosh, exegesis, ex, exe, I don't know what it's called. Anyway, I, think I know of, that word, but, yeah, <laughs> but I don't know what well, it he is. Lays down, he lays down what's turned out to be his theology that he's discovered. And it's not a, it's not a pleasant theology. It involves lots of monsters and it involves lots of um, gods who are indifferent to the fate of humanity and, and, uh, this whole sense of cosmic dread, which is a cool. the, probably the biggest theme of Lovecraft's work. So anyway, the, the Necronomicon is the device that's really used often to convey that sense of cosmic dread. So, um, yeah. So it, that's cool that he has that amulet. What that means, I don't. You know, we're not sure at this point. So. I dig that. So I, di- you know, I did not get that reference. I figured it was a reference, but I didn't get it specifically. What about uh, the good doctor, the bowl? And the count yeah. the ring. Do you do you, do you have any insight on those? I, 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 you know, looking back, given given the fact that I've read this a bunch, I have plenty, but it wouldn't be okay. appropriate for me to share it at this point. So, <laughs> all right, so these are going to be used. This is yeah. exciting. This makes it even more. I mean, it was cool just to to have them, but now 
now I can foreshadow or this foreshadows, I guess, this big kind of battle where they're going to be using their things. And that's really yeah. fun. Very, very deliberately placed there by Zelazny. Yeah. That's really, 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 really cool. Mm-hmm. But in the in the meantime, we've got this body we got to get rid of. And so mm-hmm. Snuff, she's like, can you bury it? No, but I'm going to drag it. Uh, and I didn't realize it was going to turn into such a project. I'm foreshadowing a little bit, but like, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a lot. It takes, you know, yeah, big, it, it's a big part of this week. It is. It turns into quite a labor, quite, quite a Herculean labor on uh, Snuff's part to, to move this body. And you know, he says a lot of kind of cool things in there about, you know, it's not the first time I've done this and they drag easier when they're stiff as opposed <laughs> to being limp, you know? So again, not his first shooting match as, as we're, learning about snuff and jack um they've, they've got some uh, experience under their belt so but yeah exactly. so we got this body we got this body we gotta get rid of because they don't want to attract attention quite frankly especially near jack's house jack and snuff's house so don't want the interlopers to have uh basically bait to come feed on and gotta get rid of it and the river seems like the most appropriate place that's where i put all mine Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the chapter ends <laughs> with this with this great uh, leaving the corpse in a cop's little alliteration right. and fun, you know. And I kind of I kind of dig that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I, it's it's really cool. Good good play on words, corpse and the cops. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, so there there is also mention there, there's mention before we move on to chapter fifteen though. There's a, there's significant mention in this chapter of. Um, of the count and it, it almost is thrown in casually, but it's obviously important and it would seem to be foreshadowing, but uh, they mentioned that if the count moves from his lair, it's going to fuck up the calculations that, that, that snuff has done so far in determining this epicenter of sorts. So we're really not entirely sure what it is, but we, we're pretty sure that it's where things happen. So that throws this really brings the count into the whole mix as a real wild card. And so and, I didn't realize they got that far into it. I thought they just teased it with the you know, I like knowing where he is. If he moves, we'll have to find him again. That's all Talk. that's all they say. I, I'm sorry if I got ahead. Yeah. No, but that's that's where we're going. But this is just very cool how he teases it out like that. So like we know it's an issue that he moves, even though we don't know why it's an issue just yet. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, in my defense, I do have written in my notes, hint, foreshadowing. <laughs> so, <laughs> I kind of, I, I got a little too ahead of myself there, but, uh, but no, it's, it's, but it's cool. It's just, it's, it's, I mean, it's, I love it. I love it. Um, it, yeah, I, I dig this aspect to the problem solving. Uh, so we get to ch- chapter 15, we get an immediate little fun, um, I was a cookie, I guess, or I don't know what the hell they're called. Anyway, we get some confirmation of something we had talked about last week. Uh, when Snuff says, then I dragged myself home, jaws aching, paws sore, my old injury from the zombie affair acting up. Mm-hmm. And we had, yeah. So that was, that, that's, that's just so fun, you know? Yeah, I mean, how, and, you know, kudos to you, because I know I'm not at all surprised because I know you, but, you know, great job picking up on that. And sure enough, you were, you're validated, man. It was, uh, you know, zombies, zombies. That's yeah. so fun. They they talk about, you know, obviously, you know, we talked about in grad school and all writing books, you know, you it's okay for and fun for the audience to get ahead of the book sometimes. You know, you always want to say surprise because then they get this great 
you feel so like, oh, I figured that out. You know, like who doesn't like that feeling? You know. Yeah, right. But you know what can also stem from that as well is that can be that can be a a, a baited trap for the reader, right? Well, you you set up the rules and then you break them sometimes. There you that's, go. that's yeah. kind of fun. We think uh, we know what's going on. We don't, as I've said many, many times, probably exactly uh, ad nauseum in this podcast, uh, these podcasts. But uh, yeah. Well, that's so fun. That's like, that's, it, again, it's a great reminder because, again, we're laying out these clues, we're following these clues, but it doesn't mean they're all true clues or not. Right, right. Uh, let's see, what happens after after this? We've got... Uh, we got the Vicar and the Crossbow crew are introduced. Um, oh, that's right. That's right, that's right, that's right. So so um, Needle, Needle comes and pays Snuff a visit and mentions that the, the Vicar and all of his posse are out shooting up the shooting up things the night before. And, um, um, that's just kind of a, that's, that's, that's continuing to go on there. The posse showing no times, no, no sign of slowing and they're out for blood and they're being, you know, very mob mob justice like. And, uh, so, um, we, and, we go ahead, go ahead. And, and then we kind of enter this, Kind of, I don't. I think again, this is just very kind of cool little section. Uh, after he, they Jack and Snuff go back out, and he goes. When it gets to this point in the game, there are always a few last minute items on the shopping list, and I just kind of like that attitude. You know, we're we're winding things down of the preparation of phase kind of one. Uh, you know, you get to see some of the characters all in the same place. It talks about uh, Crazy Jill swoops by. Uh, through the open door of a gin mill, which is, you know, it's such a great name for a bar. You know, there's oh, yeah. a gin mill. Oh, there's a really crappy bar we'd go to every now and then in New York called the Gin Mill. Aren't they uh, the greatest? Aren't they the greatest, though? Crappy uh, bars? This one was not. This one was just. Oh, sorry. Me, so. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but but the idea, yes. Yes, in general. <laughs> See, we know the rules and then we break them, right? Live <laughs> bars are cool until one of them is not. So. <laughs> was, there was, they had, a, they had a basement and uh, it was like a. You know, it was a, like like a lot of venues. You know, it was, it was a comedian comedians venue also in the in the basement where they would do comedy ah. shows. And like, and I remember this comedian was like, "Oh, y'all are on a date. Y'all are on a date. You took her to the gin mill. <laughs> you know, it was, <laughs> was kind of perfect. Like, Way to know. go, killer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But we, we get just Casanova. little. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. We get fun mentions. We get Rostov sitting at the table, save for a bottle of vodka and a glass. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. kind of fun. And he, and he snuff wonders what happens to Quick Lime on these occasions mm-hmm. if he's gone internal. We got Bubo with a finger in his mouth. We got Owen uh, incomprehensibly speaking in Welsh. We got Morris uh, hanging on to Macab, uh, dressed like a woman, uh, heavily rouged in makeup. So we got. This great line here by Jack, party time before things start to get serious. Yeah. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah, that really is. It's just fun. It's just fun. Everybody's letting their hair down and letting their uh, guard down. And, you know, dude, they're just frigging partying, man. It's just like. Exactly. And we got the great detective. We got the great detective in disguise kind of stopping by. So we've got kind of everything uh, kind kind of getting ready to culminate here, which is which is really fun. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like the eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die kind of a Eggs, Yeah, truth on that. Yeah. And then we have this cool little moment at the end where um, Jack and Snuff are ch- being chased by the police. They said, uh, like, I think it was, this is where Jack gets takes unusual chances, so they're almost to be caught. 
And then as they're running away, somebody says, you know, come in here. And uh, who is it that rescues them? It is our uh, one of our heroes. Uh, we're thinking now at this point, Larry Talbot. Uh, so he he sn- snatches them out of harm's way, pulls them into his shelter, saves their ass. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned that uh, Snuff remarks that Jack is taking unusual chances. And uh, he says that is because that their quest this time is particularly difficult. So, again, we're seeing a relativity thing. This one's harder than a lot than the other ones. And, and you know, it makes this one feel special because it's, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures almost. So Jack's willing to he's such a cool, calculated character, you know, the epitome of, of strategic, you know, uh, strategic boldness and uh, he's doing sloppy things because he's got to get it done, you know, and mm. it's, it's, uh, it's how mistakes happen. Correct. Very, very correct. So, yeah. so Larry, Larry rescues him. And then I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I think we get the first hint of perhaps another power or gift that Larry might have. What is that? Uh, I'm trying to remember which specific, I mean, I know what it is. He, he says, he says, uh, so he comes in and, he, and the bag is leaking of whatever difficult thing they needed to get. And Larry's like, I've got a towel here that you can have. And, uh, they're like, thank you. How'd you know I need it? And Larry says, I have a way of anticipating things. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I forgot that was in this chapter. Absolutely. Yeah. That's and uh, just that one line, just like that other line for the, uh, the counts layer mattering, you know, it's just, just a teaser, just one little thing. Yes. And I, you know, you can easily overlook it until for later in the week and you're like, Oh, okay. This is, this is also going to be a thing. Yeah. In that sort of a, just a, when the, when you read the line, it's kind of a, Dun dun! Yeah, <laughs> completely. It is By something way you, of anticipating yeah. things. <laughs> right. It's not. I don't think it's easily glossed over. I think it kind of grabs you, kind of grabs you by the short hairs uh, <laughs> when you read it because it's like ah, brilliant. Yeah. All right. And that Larry, takes... Larry, Larry is uh, he's he's starting to come into the forefront here. Yeah, he's got a lot going on. Uh, so we go to chapter 16 and we have Snuff making the rounds. He notices that the blue things are gathered in one spot. Uh, but we know about some, you know, some of these little creatures that they can do what, what they, they can escape. They, uh, there's some intelligence behind them. Uh, so after that little kind of thing, we have him trying to go to the, get the body, but he's not in the mood for it. His jaws are sore, his neck aching, his paws are tender. And then we got this great little comic relief scene uh, with Quicklime. And- <laughs> <laughs> the the home over snake. Yeah. How is- exactly. <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about Quicklime. <laughs> yeah, well, as, as I said early on, Zelazny says, mentions very casually in talking about the companions that it's uh, Quicklime who lives in the belly of the mad, of, of, uh, of the mad monk. And uh, I mean, of I'm sorry, of um, Jesus. Rastoff. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. I keep I'm, I'll keep wanting to call him Rasputin, as you as you mentioned. Uh, yeah, um, but yeah, so we find out. You know, I said he literally lives in the belly, and we see it here, man. The in uh, all that partying and and uh, throwing down the day before, uh, Rastoff drank a lot of, of course, what would he be drinking? Vodka, and right. uh, tied one on, and and. Uh, there's a question from Snuff. I wonder wonder what happens in these situations if uh, <laughs> if he is internal at the time, right? If, if uh, so exactly. We, so anyway, yeah, we got a hungover snake because he he was uh, got all fucked up along with the along with Rastoff. 
just by being in his belly, obviously. And he's he's hating life at this point. He's, uh, <laughs> he's uh, in the words of uh, widespread panic, he's looking for a place to shed his skin at this point. So he's he's hurting. And uh, Com- Completely. And yeah. if you've drank in college, you've drank, definitely been there. And <laughs> Snuff's advice is pretty good. He says, lie in the sun and sweat it out. Drink yep. lots of liquids. <laughs> yes. And then he adds, he adds, trust me, I know, or something along those lines. It's like, <laughs> exactly. I don't know if it's worth it. It's like, you'll feel better. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. He's ready to die. So, yeah. Um, that's fun. Um, so, what else happens here next? Uh, we got the so Snake. We got, yeah, you got Larry, and, uh, Larry and Jack uh, yes. talking. Yeah. A very profound encounter, right? Right. This is kind of cool, you know, because yeah. like they're they're trading some, um, you know, it's more than pleasantries, and then they get kind of really. Jack just lays it out on the table. Yes, uh, which I thought was interesting. Is like he's like, I don't understand your part in this. Mm-hmm. You're knowledgeable, <laughs> you're helpful, and I'm grateful. But you're not coll- you're not doing what the rest of us are doing. You're not collecting crap. At least mm-hmm. it doesn't appear that you are. And you basically said earlier, hey, I'm a closer. So, like, he's like, what's up with you? <laughs> and, That's right. He he really, he's like a cut through the bullshit. I'm tired of this. Things are getting urgent. Here's the deal, Larry. I don't know what the fuck you're up to. And uh, it's, um, there was a neat, I, I, I wrote it down, a quote um, that I think very kind of just ties things together a little bit. And he tells, Jack tells Larry that, you know, he's, Trying to figure out what his role is, he says that you quote, don't seem to be gathering the necessary items to build a structure of power to be focused one way or the other. So you got you got three things there. You got items that are being gathered in order to build number two, a structure of power. And this structure of power is the vehicle by which one uh focuses their attention as either an opener or a closer, whatever those may be. So Ex- exactly. We're so, learning more about the the cosmic uh, mechanics of this whole thing in this game. So I thought that was a neat neat quote. Yeah, that's is that's a great moment, and so again, just very efficiently efficiently done. Yeah, and Larry, it, it it's you know, uh, Jack pretty much tells Larry at one point in exasperation, quit trifling with stuff. You know, you're you're not your role's not clear. Why are you mucking around? And this significant cosmic event is going to have universal implications, you know, omniversal implications, as it were. But, um, yeah, it's it's he's Jack's frustrated and he wants to know what the hell is going on. And Larry is such a holds his cards to his to his chest very, very tightly. He breasts his cards tightly. And he's Jack's you can sense Jack's just frustrated with it. You know, don't you think? Yeah, I, I, I do. And he, but and he's he's it's, it's, it's not a contradiction, but he is he is. He is holding his, playing his cards tight to his chest, at the same time also not playing them tight to his chest at all. Because he's like, I never tell anybody everything. Correct. I might influence their actions and affect those. Uh, but he talks about this. Um, he has to follow his gut because, and he says it again here is, I've told you that anticipation is my forte. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we yep. know that that's, and he just says, Look, I, I don't tell everybody everything. I trust my anticipation, I trust my gut. But I will, you know, um, what does he say here? I, I want to get it get it right because I just like I like it. Um, Go ahead, I'll let you do that. Because no, no, please, because I'm looking for it. Well, you know, he reiterates that he 
in response, you know, Larry's pretty frank as well. But like you said, there's a duality there. He he's he says a lot, but doesn't say much. And uh, he reiterates that he's a closer. He states that he has been drawn to Jack and Snuff, and he's not sure whether it's the dog or not uh, this this caused this this particular attraction. And then he just kind of says, "I have a method for what I'm doing. You know, I know I know what I'm doing, and you're just going to have to trust. I hate to say trust the process, but you know." Um, you're going to just have to trust me in this chain of events to figure out what, to play my role, whatever that may be. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So just another cool, cool interaction between that pair. Like it's, you know, they're, they're a fun pair to have, have with us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and- then I like this little, uh, kind of just update that, uh, snuff gets from Greymock about how, all the interrogations when the constables call everyone in, you know, they're looking for their dead body. And I thought this was kind of neat. Um, there, there are different mechanisms they use to, to uh, <laughs> deflect the questioning. Rastoff right. suddenly understood a lot less English. <laughs> the cab were polite. Jack was quite urbane, which is so right. great. Of course. Um, the good doctor indignant, you know, and just everybody, right. Larry Tell had never seen him. Oh, and so he just goes through and it's just kind of very fun of like, we're reinforcing the different personality types of the yeah. characters and our and, players. And, and let's not forget crazy Jill's tactics. Uh, apparently this is her stick. And if you recall, she, she does her crazy act. That's and, right. Uh, She's the old crazy cat lady. Right. Yes. <laughs> no, it's, it's exactly right, man. It's exactly right. She's the crazy cat lady and that's the role, you know, that's what she puts on. And it obviously works to great effect. And exactly. It's like they're all makes- just kind of chuck, chuckling amongst themselves at this inquisition and, you know, they know that the vicar is present at the Inquisition along with the police. And it's, uh, it's obviously not a good sign. It's sort of making them worry even more about this situation um, it, that he's it, there. Yeah, exactly. And at the end, we get a nice little more interpersonal between Gray Mock and Snuff. You know, hey, when this is all over, found a big patch of catnip. You know, let's go get a drink. That's right. And, that's- and uh, you know, uh, it, I think the quote is tomorrow it dies. No mm-hmm. hard feelings, no hard feelings. However, things go. So love that. That's a very foreboding statement. <laughs> exactly. And then it's, it, in the next chapter, October 17th, it's com- just completely boom. Reading for tomorrow it dies. And we're going to start. We're just going to make sure you get this audience, but not in a terribly handed heavy way. Soon it begins. Today is the day of the new moon. There the you power go. will rise to the night of its fullness on the 31st. The combination would bring us together. I mean, that was just fun. Well, I, I think that's worth reading that paragraph. You want to just read that paragraph? I mean, yeah, go for it. Uh, yeah, totally. What you said, soon it begins. Today is the day of the new moon. The power will rise till the night of its fullness on the 31st in combination, which brings us together. The combination, which brings us together. And with the rising, we begin our work. That which draws us apart. The days ahead will be interesting as the openers and closers reveal themselves by their actions. Last night may have represented a final act of cooperation. So, how fun uh, is that? Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're getting right into it, right? You know, exactly. So, it says uh, Jack wants to go visit the cemetery. We got to pick up some last minute items. He goes, he goes, we went to a distant, isolated one we've been to once before. So, that's mm-hmm. kind of fun. And when we get there, <laughs> you know everybody had a great idea right right um they get there like pretty much everybody is there (laughs) (laughs) which is just awesome and i can't run off for it yet but you know he goes this cemetery we find out 
is the uh, it's the same cemetery like in the very beginning of the book where we meet the snuff meets the other dog and the dog's like can i see your teeth you know yeah. like oh yeah you're bigger better like you can do what you want so we're yeah. back in that same cemetery which is fun mm-hmm. the old guard dog you know the old graveyard guard dog yeah so who's, they're talking about their like go ahead no he's who's worn and wearied and 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 you know getting in his senior year way beyond his senior years and it's uh anyway he's an i think the the guard dog's kind of a cool character i do too and it uh yeah, it's like, well, it'd be nice if y'all cleaned up after yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> trouble for me. Like, could you pass the word along, please, to everybody else? To do, can you be a little bit neater? <laughs> isn't, that, isn't he kind of a reality check? It's like, you know, he's kind of like, I know y'all are up to some some shit. I know you're up to some crazy stuff. But, dude, you know, go easy on the old guard dog here. <laughs> clean, exactly. Clean he, says, he says, the older I get, the more conservative I feel. I'm just right. not much into heavy action these days. <laughs> exactly. You know, I he's, feel you. I feel you, old dog. I feel you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's uh, they're back in the, you know, and it's kind of cool. The the frenzy that I thought the description was really cool of what's going on in the graveyard at the time and what uh, what's meant by this last last act of cooperation. You know, where they all are. Uh, you, I'm sure. You know, why don't you you know, you like that scene when they're all in the graveyard and they're. I love it. They're like, hey, who has? A, you got a femur? You got a femur yeah, from yeah. a redheaded virgin? Or like, yeah. sure, here over here and. Who's got a uh, broken vertebrae of a hanged man? Oh, well, exactly. exactly. You say you need a spleen? I've got a spleen right here. I'll trade you for an eyeball. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's just so funny. Them, you know, again, yeah. this is their, like you said, the, the last kind of last moments where they have where they can kind of really, really work together. Yeah. Uh, which is yeah. super fun. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, we see, uh, and Snuff kind of gets, as he's talking, as he's narrating for us, speaking to the reader, he kind of gets a little caught up in the moment almost, you know, it's a, it's a wistful kind of a. I think this is worth reading also. If you want to read these, these last two or three paragraphs too, I think these are great. Yeah. The last in the chapter. Yeah. The last two. The last two. Absolutely. Um, Snuff says, thus was all our work quickly concluded to everyone's satisfaction, save for the tired hound referring of course, to the guard dog we've been speaking of. Um, Such times are rare. Such times are fleeting, but always bright when caught, measured, hung, and later regarded in times of adversity. There in the kinder halls of memory against the flapping of the flames. And then he says, forgive me. He asked the reader to forgive him. The new moon, as they say, gives rise to reflection. And he says, it's time to make his rounds. You know, catch you later. But... That was it's so such beautiful prose, you know, and and he's he's so he's in a different place, you know. He's really you know thinking about the heart of this matter and what it means, and and um, I don't know. It's just it, I thought it was beautiful language. I really did. Yeah, I do too. It's just very very pretty and very lyrical and reflective and kind of mm-hmm. just makes sense. Uh, it is really the end of that. Uh, that section. Yeah. Uh, um, it's a lovely way to end it. Talking about reflection. Do you remember when I said earlier that my, one of my personal favorite things is when people are in, engaged in a conflict and in, in a supernatural conflict and the, and the heroes or the players or whatever, they, they retreat and you and I talked about it too. They retreat and strategize. This is to me also that cool is when they pause and reflect, you know, it's yeah. like step, stepping away from it, kind of looking at things going, let's look at what all this means again, you know? 
Yeah, I dig those moments too. It is is so helpful as an audience member to have that that slowing down and that piece, you know, right before things get kind of crazy and right after things have been a little nuts. Dude, he's he's such so he's such a boss writer. I mean, he's just so good. And, yeah. You know, yeah. So we come to October 18th now and this is the first day in the new moon phase. Mhm. So we're kind of at phase 2, so we've got more uh snuff still has to get rid of that body cuz again <laughs> if it, it's discovered like bad it's bad shit for the area. Yeah. And, he- uh, He's very weary at this point of it. He's almost broken by it. Don't wouldn't you say by the task? Yeah. Like yeah. it's 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 putting a toil on him. And mm-hmm. we finally get confirmation in a in a lovely reveal here. What who helps him move the course? Cop well, corpse. <laughs> well, who who slash what helps him is a there we go. an enormous uh gray wolf. Snuff mistakes him for a big dog. Uh one that's so big that he'd never never seen one that big, quote, outside of Ireland, which of course is a Reference to the great Irish wolfhound, which is, you know, about as big as they come. But um, so he thinks this dog turns out as it gets closer, it's a gray wolf. And there's, you know, the common belief that wolves are kind of just dogs is, is horseshit. I mean, they're they're creatures unto themselves. And even so snuff is almost becomes um, deferential at this point uh, because the the wolf is so much bigger and so much you know, so much more intimidating than anything he's come across. Oh yeah, definitely different. He's like, I reviewed my knowledge of the submissive postures these guys are into. I love that. Exactly. Like, oh yeah, what am I supposed to do here? Oh yeah, yeah, get down. You know, right. So, so, so we got a hero who's who's knowing his role, right? He's he's like, I may be sort of a badass, but you know, there's always somebody badder than me, and and this gray wolf is it. And of course, the gray wolf. Uh, the big reveal is that. Um, they start speaking, and the gray wolf is Larry Talbot. Larry Talbot. <laughs> That's yeah. right, as we knew. But here's, like you said, the big, you know, in concrete reveal. Yeah. So, so after our last podcast, when I did not uh, pick up on the reference of Larry Talbot, I did Google it and realized, okay, so this is Larry Talbot is the character's name from the old uh, uh, Wolfman monster movies. Yeah, yeah. Which um, I I did not pick up on that, and so it's it's it was it's fun to have this just. Out in the open, yeah, yeah. That's what, uh, that's when we were talking. Only people who are really into horror movies, but I think it, I think that was a, it. May have been Lon Chaney Junior. who played. Anyway, I think I, you're I, right. I can't remember who you're played abs- that. Role. You're absolutely right. Not Lon Chaney, but yeah, Junior. I think so. Anyway, yeah, it's a uh, it's cool stuff. And we hear a little bit about his. We learn a little bit about his powers and how he operates. Hmm. Hmm. He says, "I can choose to do it whenever I choose with certain botanical aids and retain full rationality." Save when the moon is full, it's only involuntary then with certain unfortunate accompaniments. Yeah. Uh, so this is cool. So he's figured out his plant manipulation, his herbs and medicines. He's figured out how to be able to transform into this wolf and retain his human intelligence, except for during the full moon when he would just be it anyways. And then he's just kind of crazy. Which, you know, we already know. I mean, it's no secret to the reader at this point that the things are going to go down at the full moon. So... It's like, oh Lord, what what kind of a a match are we throwing on top of the the, the barrel of dynamite here? You know. Um, yeah, and they'll lay it out even clearer, like in a like I don't remember. Maybe it might be in this chapter. It's hard to it's hard to remember what when, what what happens. But so he helps them move the course, and it's just so easy for him. We get yeah. a whole scope of like you were saying. You know, there was that viral video that went around not too long ago. Uh, this woman is petting this wolf and you get to see just the size of this full grown woman versus this full grown wolf. 
uh, and just how gigantic they really are. You're it, right. it's, it's all inspiring. It really is. And it's, it's, they are something else. They, they are canines, but they are, they are not dogs. They're not, they're not fighting. <laughs> <laughs> they're not Rover. So. Exactly. Yeah. So we, we, um, we start to, I mean, we get to a really wild scene in the church, uh, next. No, is that next? I think that is. So they get rid of the body and then they go to the vicar's church because they've talked about trying to, we're, again, we're still trying to find the center where all this stuff is, happens. And they see this really cool, wild, uh, religious ritual ceremony going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a, it's very sinister in feel, you know, we, we have a, a woman who disrobes at some point in this and, uh, mm-hmm. We have an upside down cross. Um, and the vicar is uh, rambling and reading and and, and chanting. And um, we hear. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Please. No, I, was, I may. You may have been going to ask about it, but we hear the we hear the name of another very prominent H.P. Lovecraft uh, entity. Yeah, is that where you're going? Yeah. Yeah, I wanted you to talk a little about. Uh, yeah. So it's. Um, the way it's spelled is N-Y-A-R-L-A-T-H-O-T-E-P. Um, there's pronunciations are, are an interesting thing among Lovecraft fans because nobody really knows. There's there's one reference where Lovecraft in a in a in a letter to one of his uh one of his colleagues, he 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 sounds out and explains how to say one of the gods in his in his universe that the most famous of them, which is Cthulhu, C-T-H-U-L-U. And he explains how to say, it. and people, you know, the Lovecraft geeks are always kind of like, how do you really pronounce that? And it's like, well, there's only one way because he tells you and it's not, it's not a human sound. But anyway, I, I pronounce this other, this other entity. I say not Nyarlathotep, but it's easy to say Nyarlathotep. But um, yeah, so we hear this name uh, being uttered in, in, in reverence and submission and, you know, in, in, in regard as a divinity. Um, and uh, so that's, uh, that's significant. Um, yeah, he's a, I, you know, he's, uh, I, do you want me to talk about him anymore? Uh, Lovecraft wise, I can do a brief or we can just move on because he's not, no, he's, we can do a brief thing. We would just caveat that, you know, we recognize that Lovecraft as a person, you know, may not be the best of dudes. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, you yeah. Know, let me, no, let me, let, let me, anti-Semitic and just, you know, all that, like we, we, we're, yes, we, let me, let me clarify that. Definitely um, acknowledge that. Yeah, no, let me clarify that. Uh, I want you to understand, I want the the listeners to understand, I am a fan of the work of H.P. Lovecraft. I am not a fan of the man, H.P. Lovecraft. And oh, he's yeah. very problematic and he's very controversial. And I am able to parse all that, you know, separate that from my love of his work and, and and my disdain for many of his beliefs and traits. He was a he was a racist. He was a um, somewhat misogynistic, though, though you know, uh, and he was... Uh, like you say, anti-Semitic. He was a bit of a xenophobe. He was a huge xenophobe, actually. And, Completely. You know, for us, for us uh, folks, you and you and I, the, of Irish blood, you know, he was even like real disdainful of the Irish until he found out later in life that he had Irish blood. But uh, so yeah, I, w- I want everyone to be clear when I say I'm a very strong, passionate fan of H.P. Lovecraft. It's not. It's not the man. It's not the man. It's his. Work. Yeah, I yeah. figured. I I meant to say that kind of the beginning of this journey, but it just. I, that's my so, fault. I, I should have said that because that's something you need to say anytime Lovecraft is discussed uh, these days. You really do need to. Uh, and I also, and we, don't, we don't need to spend too much more time on this, but like, I also like, I separate the work from the person, you know, and I'm sh- sure there's a line where I could not, but I, I still 
dance to Michael Jackson and yeah, and, right. And what exactly. what I believe he did was allegedly did uh, yeah. was as about as bad as it gets. Yeah. Uh, so, but so I one little more brief aside. I was at a Dragon Con panel this past uh, week, uh, past Liberty Weekend. Cool. And it was all about Lovecraft geography and talking about the different <laughs> cities and stuff, uh, which was really cool. But that was like their preference was basically the same thing that we just did, which was, which I yeah. think is necessary and enough. But anyways, let yeah, I, us I, continue. Yeah, I was going to tell you real quick. I had a business idea long ago before the internet hit big, and it was it was uh, basically taking photographs of Lovecraft um, of of the geography and the sites mentioned in, in, in Lovecraft's fiction in real life. And, you know, but anyway, that all kind of got, it didn't get off the ground. It got gutted. And, uh, uh, because the internet came along and those things are not by as viable as, uh, as they would have once been, uh, cause the photographs are so easily obtainable now. So yeah, anyway. that's really cool. Oh, I right. like that. <laughs> I digress. Yeah. I absolutely love that. All right. So they, they leave the church and they're like, well, holy shit, I guess he's involved. <laughs> Exactly. I guess this guy's been, which means we got to, this affects all the lines. Uh, we got to figure this out again. Um, so they do have, but they do have like an idea, right? They have a place that is in mind. Am I thinking here, here? Or we, I can't get, let's see. Oh, there's, let's, let's talk about this. Uh, right at the end of this section with Larry. Uh, oh, yeah. He's like, we're in this, in this together, says Snuff. And uh, Larry says, you know, that's not it. I can't tell you because I don't know. Again, we're getting more of his powers and how he operates. I'm an anticipator. I know certain mm-hmm. things about the future, and I anticipate being at the center when the moon is full. And yes, I'm on your side, but I'll also be out of my mind that night because he knows what's up. <laughs> and he still haven't worked out the formula for bringing it through a moon change intact. So, so he has something that he's working on, too. He's trying to be able to get through this and yeah. keep his human rationality. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure yeah. I could be categorized as a player, but then I'm not sure I shouldn't. I'm mm-hmm. just a wild card, which makes me think of always Sonny in Philadelphia. And he's a wild card. <laughs> I don't know if you, if you watch that at all. But, no, I did a little bit. Uh, I know the reference. I know the reference you're talking about. And then the final line here of this section, I think is great. Do you want to read that one? Sure. Give me one second. Forgive me for not being. Oh yeah. No worries. I could, I could read it. I threw back my head and howled. Sometimes it's the best thing to do. <laughs> I'm just like, yep. <laughs> right. Right. But, uh, that, that, yeah. Yeah. So then we got a little, we got a like our first little kind of asterisk mid chapter. You know, we're really switching scenes completely. Uh, we've we've switched scenes, but I don't think we've actually had the actually denotation of an asterisk in the printed copy or in the uh, Kindle copy in my case. Uh, he talks about uh, we got a little flashback of meeting Greymock again, mm-hmm. and he said, "Like, where's the project? Like, it's finally done." Um, and then they're kind of like trading information again. So we're learning, we're learning more stuff here. Uh, right. And they said, like, if you solve the problem of whether Talbot's really a player, I'll trade you something for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be useful. Then we have another little break. And this is a great thing to do uh, that authors give us is we get our lead detective snuff going to a private place and trying to figure shit out and doing so in his head and communicating that to the reader, almost like giving us like an update. Okay. There's lots going on. This is what's up. And Mm -hmm. through that, then he has a discovery 
right? Or he has like a, he has a moment like when he's calculating things that, and what does he, uh, where do they, where do they need to go? This third candidate for the local locale. Mm. Who is it? The, the, the Mance. Uh, yeah. Of, yeah. So, so they're trying to figure out all the different ways. Larry, basically snuff is having to do all of these calculations with all of these different contingencies. We've got this, who's a player, who's not, particularly as regards Larry Talbot. Uh, and, you know, it, it's, it's a pain in the ass for him. And, uh, but he has an aha moment up on his m- place of repose, which he calls Dog's Nest, by the way. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah I know. Pretty cool. And uh, it, it is a ding-ding moment. And uh, they uh, they decide they that, that he's his calculations put him at a manse that they haven't explored yet, a, a big old house. Um, this, this kind of a new thing for them. And, you know, they got to go check it out. Chapter October 19th. So, you know, Snuff scopes out the manse. It's locked and decides to come back. He needs a cat. And then we get this, you know, very fun line. I guess that's the end of, no, this is the end of the last one, right? Cats are never around when you really need one. Right, right. Yeah, that was the last line. Was... Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, a lot of good natured, good natured uh, needling, I mean, uh, between the characters because of their, because it's cool because they're animals, right? Dogs distrust exactly. the cats. Cats always say, you know, you hear Gray Malk many times say, never trust a rat. You know, yep. bats are delicious, but not to be trusted. They, you know, <laughs> yeah, not the tail. Right. Um, <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. Snuff has some interactions at the beginning of October 19th with uh, his the things again. And again, we hear this another nice foreboding and foreshadowing. Uh, uh, the thing in the circle is like, anything at all? I'd sure like to get out and kill and rend. I'm feeling stronger all of a sudden. And Snuff says, your time will come. Mm. So we're getting, you know, these these things aren't just like, you know, part of, or, or maybe we get a hint that these things might not be just something that Jack and Snuff travel around with all the time. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were brought here for this particular location for this particular month mm-hmm. with a purpose involved. And that's right. kind of fun to think about what might happen. So I, I, I don't think I can not make this reference. I think you're a fan, but it, it really reminds me of the movie Highlander. Oh, I have. It's been a long time, but I at least love Yeah, so it's, the, they're, they're, it's a gathering of these great swordsmen, and, and there's something that occurs right before the gathering, which is called the quickening in Highlander. Yes. In Highlander. And it's like, this is exactly what's going on here. This sort of a, maybe not just bloodlust, but sort of a cosmic, you know, feral, you know, uh, edging toward violence kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. That's very cool. Uh, yeah. That's a nice, I didn't uh, connect that. That's, that's fun. Uh, then we have some, uh, we have some new folks in a little bit, you know, they're kind of just a group, but uh, we've got gypsies coming by. We do. And what does that, do. what does that portend? Well, I mean, I can't say what it portends, but well, I mean, you can say portends, meaning what, what are the, what do we think that portends? What is it? What are the implications? Uh, I think yeah, I think it means the the count is calling in his army. Yes, it is. What I mean, it feels like. Very, mm, I'm sorry. Yeah, very very classic. You know that the Dracula always had his gypsies who were his minions. They did his bidding, did his earthly bidding, um, and they were completely subservient to him. And and he, like you said, that's his that's his army, and they show up in town. So what in the world is fixing to happen with the count? What is he doing? You know what what does this mean? Yeah. Exactly. And just a, like a little uh, mention uh, with his, the conversation. I forgot who is he talking to. It's Quicklime. 
yeah. uh, who yep. says like, you know, unless and talk about the count where he's residing goes, unless he's established a few more residences mm-hmm. and like, you're, holy crap. You're like, Oh my God, it's going to be more work. <laughs> and they start talking about this. Yeah. Uh, I got a head on that. He's got the grave or two somewhere, throws all the calculations off, and poor Snuff. He's just been walking and running around, you know, <laughs> peeing and doing these lines, and another more var- variables are added to this, you know, math problem. Absolutely. He's beat down at this point, physically, as you said, and he's he's doing so much mentally with the calculations, and it just keeps getting tricked out on him, you know? And it's like, one more thing to deal with, and how much more of this can I take? And you're right. It's this notion that the count may have multiple may at some point have another residence and does that throw things into, into chaos in a bad way. Exactly. And Zelazny does a nice thing here. Uh, he's already established some rules about when interactions can be done and what, um, what's allowed now versus what's allowed earlier or later. But he also, he answers uh, to me like a reader's question. This is you know, a, a good tactic to use as a writer is, you know, if you if you see like a possible plot hole or something that like, you know, the reader's going to be asking, yep. ask, have one of your characters ask it and then solve it that way. That's so right. Out of your reader's mind. So, yeah. Yeah. Talk uh, about that. He, he, he does very much does that in, to great effect. Yeah. Great exactly. Plan. He says maybe it would be easier just to stake the guy <laughs> and right. like, well, yeah, maybe it would be. And then he answers that wouldn't solve the problem. It would just make it harder because he happens to be your ally or mine could be sacrificing someone who would make the difference. Mm-hmm. So it also gives us another little clue as to how things are, like what the me- mechanisms will be for resolving this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get to f- we get a little hint at how just how cool Snuff is. We already know Snuff's cool. We're already fans. We like him. He's funny, smart. Uh, he battles zombies. Uh, but then he says, he goes, "I'll have to tell you a little of my calculations, but that's all right. Rastoff is probably duplicated, but duplicated by now." And so. People didn't know. He goes, you're the calculator in your pair? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So he's special. He's not just cool, but he's also special. Yeah, that's right. It's it's an exception to the rule, it would seem. Completely. Right? So he's yeah. got, it makes, um, it makes us love him and appreciate him uh, even more. Yeah. Um, we hear, we hear some, uh, maybe getting ahead, but we hear about the uh, the death of the moon and its significance. And he ties up a plot hole with this too, I think. Uh, am I getting ahead of our, ahead of ourselves? No, keep going. I, I, maybe. I don't know where. I don't just know just when he, when the rule is, comes in, we finally find out that everything is fixed after the death of the moon, meaning fixed in place, not, not remedied, but, you know, set in stone. So, Everything freezes at the death of the moon, so no real harm can be done after the death of the moon by moving players or you know players who aren't. aren't in, you, you know what I mean? The calculations will hold true. Exactly, the variables are fixed at that time. And That's what they they don't know as if he had established residences before that fact. Correct. It, and that's completely arbitrary, but lovely and helpful. It's like, yeah. so we don't have to worry about that anymore. You know, like, it's, right, all right, right, great. Okay, cool. Doesn't help I, us here. Yeah. I forgot to uh, mention something back when we were talking about the things in the mirror and all that. Sure. Uh, uh, Snuff asks a question. Had they found a way to create such dimensional flaws in their prison? Mm-hmm. Still, it was too finite to be much use to them, but I resolved to keep an eye on it, too. So I think now that makes me think that maybe these things, even though they are maybe they'll be used, but it also might just be like accidental. Like they might just 
cause chaos that helps and changes things without like them being directed by Jack and Snuff. So mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see. I'll be curious mm-hmm. to see what impact they have on kind of the rest of the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's the quickening again that I was talking about in Highlander, but it, it's everybody's getting things are ramping up, and it's you you yeah. You wonder about this dimensional flaw uh, phrase. You know, it's obviously not. It's 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 a big thing, and um, yeah, uh, yeah. That's all I have to say. Yeah. So, and then towards the end of the chapter, after again that that's uh, that key information about the the relocation, all things you know, stopping before that time mattering. Uh, towards the end, we hear uh, Greymock, and they talk again, and we have a new. Um, is this where is this where we meet uh, the Linda Linda yeah, Interby? It is Linda Linda Interby. Go ahead, that's correct. She, so yeah, so she comes and talks to Larry Talbot. They have a talk. Snuff is easing in. They they enjoy sharing the parlor. They go away from where Snuff can see them. They come back. There's uh, plant uh, cuttings, uh, herbs given uh, to her and her servant as they leave, mm-hmm. and uh, so, uh, and then. He realizes now, doesn't he? Right, yeah. So well, he, then he, he sees an albino, yeah. albino raven. Right. And he also, uh, Snuff realizes and smells that uh, Linda Innerby and her servant was really the great detective and uh, Watson. Yeah, that's right. And, and Snuff, Snuff walks, runs up with great concern to ask Larry, who the hell is this woman? Even though the scent part comes later and... Um, the great great thing here is that Larry understands snuff. You know, it's kind of cool. So obviously he can communicate with this this werewolf uh, all the time. Whereas, as we are told in this chapter, I was right earlier on when I was trying to remember, he can only talk to Jack, his human, from midnight till 1 o'clock a.m. That's but right. Can, it would seem he can talk to Larry all he wants. That's right. Cause they they dogs, man. They dogs. <laughs> and they road dogs, too. I mean, they these guys are... Uh, uh, travel weary. They've been, they've got some mileage, man. They got some mileage. Yeah. So, but you know, and, and we hear also Greymock, um, tells snuff, uh, look, this is the Vickers doing, you know, is that where we were heading next? Um, yeah, I think so. The Vickers, we're basically told that the Vicar tried to, to set Jack up, um, and subject him to the scrutiny of the authorities and perhaps worse, you know, perhaps arrest or, or, uh, because you know it was made to look like he killed the Bobby, the the London police officer, and um, just snuff. I mean, uh, Gray just says he's behind it. Snuff. This is it's the vicar. So it's a real confirmation that this is a nefarious dude up to a lot of damn no good. And yeah, yeah and he doesn't play any games. You know, <laughs> he's got his army of crossbow folks, like his. You know, that's out there. That seems almost like overt. And then he's got the ritual that he's doing, which is covert. And uh, I think Snuff says this about uh, the owl, but like formidable. Formidable. The the vicar is is formidable. And yeah, it's you're right about the disguise kind of thing. I think uh, Grave and even says something about it, about uh, he's got a nice little ruse going as a as a vicar, but that ain't what he is kind of a thing. Paraphrasing, of course. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And the the yes, the albino pink-eyed raven uh is is introduced briefly in this it's chapter. It's hard to even picture. <laughs> I I can't I cannot say I've ever seen a picture of a of a an albino um 
corvidae. I, I mean, a raven or a crow or whatever that species is. I think it's corvidae. Um, yeah, I've never seen right. an albino because you always, you know, they're always black. They're always sinister and black. So. Yeah. Hmm. And then we come to our, we have October 20th. This is our last chapter of the week. Um, and this is just an interesting little, a fun little bit opening. So, you know, Snuff goes over to Greymalk and actually gets, goes inside. And uh, the Jill, crazy Jill, is younger and she's not wearing her crazy costume and she, she feeds him and she was a good cook. That's right. It's kind of yeah, it's a, a gourmet cook in uh, in Snuff and Greymock's words. She's a legit gourmet cook, and it is it is cool. He he eats, and it's 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 a it's a neat little behind the curtains moment between the you know the players behind the curtains. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. But yeah, we also ahead. learned just a little bit about Jill and Crazy Jill and Greymock's backstory a little bit. You remember they just just discussed how they're they were both street. Uh, she was a street exactly. person. Exactly. Yeah. And, exactly. Uh, That's this mm-hmm. is a a great little. Th- I love I love this little section. Tell to keep going. Well, I mean, it, it's it. We're told, and and you know, Gray has kind of a Gray Malk has kind of an emotional moment where she explains, "Look, you know, I used to live on the street. I was tortured by orphans. I was, you know, just all these starved, uh, subject to you know disease and all these horrible things." And then he says that Jill was also a a. Mm, a resident of the street, you know, a, a homeless person, itinerant homeless person, and that her life was even harder than, than, uh, than gray mocks. So we get yeah. a real, yeah. I love that. And I love the line in that, the section, uh, you know, damned if I know snuff, does anybody really care about a hungry cat except a right. few friends? Right. And his response is maybe that's all anybody ever has, no matter how yeah. the big yeah. show is run and shit that yeah. fucking resonates too. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nobody really cares about you. You know, we're pretty much all alone, except for maybe the people who do. Yeah, nuggets, um, nu- nuggets of wisdom to live by from a from a fiction book. So, exactly. Um, so then they are going. They're going to the manse to investigate, right? Right. And uh, they look in, and and who is there is the great detective. Correct. Correct. Um, where are we still at in here? his. Still in his, uh, still in his uh, disguise from playing the the older woman, except for like he's in his dress, you know, and he's but he's smoking on his, his great calabash pipe. That's, right. is, that's always I, you know, I like it when men are in drag smoking a cigar. I don't know. It's just, you know that's, <laughs> it's just it's a it's a look that I dig. Right, it's know. very powerful imagery, isn't it? <laughs> Completely, exactly. So I I like I like thinking of him, you know, hanging yeah. out. So, yeah, the, the, the great detective is such a master of disguise, but his ruse is transparent to, to those in the know. You know exactly, like, exactly. Yeah. So Greymalk goes in to investigate using her cat-like cool abilities, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what happens, this is a nice um, uh, use of time, I guess, is, is the way to put it. So while Snuff is waiting outside the manse and Greymalk is inside investigating, we have a whole nother scene happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, who, who kind of joins the, the party out here? Um, I think it's Nightwind, I think. Is it Nightwind? Which is yeah, owl, she, yeah owl, that's, right? that's exactly right. And Nightwind imparts some knowledge um, by descript- telling, telling, Snuff and, uh, telling Snuff about this, this albino raven, right? 
Isn't that where what happens? Yeah, I think that's I think that's where we're going to. And we I think this little section here is is neat. Um, we have an exchange of information, and then well, I think I'm getting a little ahead of the game here, actually. Uh, that's all so, right. It's the last chapter of the week, so we can, we can <laughs> get ahead and then rewind, or just you know, yeah. yeah. Well, we see some strategy going on mm-hmm. here with snuff. Here, first of all, they're exchanging information, and, and I love like the. Uh, the owl is just like, yeah, I just went right up to her and asked her, her name's, how do you pronounce this? Tequila? Tequila? Yeah, I would say, because it's definitely not tequila. Uh, I mean, that would be just, that would be just too gauche. But uh, <laughs> I think it's tequila. <laughs> I say, I say tequila. <laughs> some would say tequila, you know, whatever. Yeah. Cool. But it's, I think tequila is, yeah, that's what I call it. Yeah, I say tequila. Yeah. Tequila in my mind works all right. Uh, so tequila, we have a name for the white raven, mm-hmm. which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, you know, basically like he said, Takela wanted a list of the players and their companions and figured she'd get it from me of someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and she asked, you know, Hey, were you dragging the body? You know, this was the missing officer and Snuff's like, yeah, I won't deny it. And, uh, like, right. did, did y'all kill him? No, I did not kill him, but the body turned up too home for comfort. So we have confirmation of our, you know, we pretty much knew that, but now we really know it. And now mm-hmm. the others know it. Yeah, um, Jack, Jack didn't kill the, the policeman, and it was for sure a plant. Yeah, exactly. And now we find out. Uh, so Tequila belongs to the vicar. He's the com- quote companion. They use companion in this in this particular chapter of, of the vicar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So right. they was involved in the death, but why? Why did he have to? What was what was up with that? And how does and how does Snuff realize this? And or and is this a literal? word that you're about to use or a, or just a poetic license on Zelazny's part. Which one? Uh the word vision. Cuz snuff is like just then I saw it. I had a oh, vision yeah. of the officer. Vision. Yeah. Yeah, he has he has a psychic moment, right? It, it, it I mean it certainly could be. I mean yeah. certainly in this book it would, you know, 88% sure probably it is a psychic vision. Sure. But you yeah. know also it's used, you know, it could be used, you know, just as, as poetic language as well, I guess. Right. I'm trying to find that, that sentence here. And, um, but yeah, yeah. it's, uh, just then I saw it, I'd had a vision of the officer drug knocked out or tied up upon the altar as the vicar blessed an edged instrument. So mm. what you're getting at is we're finding out that you know, if, if Snuff's vision is correct, then the vicar, um, kidnapped this this Bobby from London and used him as, as a human sacrifice in his uh, evil, nefarious rituals. Um, exactly. So, he needed it yeah. early for the extra power because he'd gotten off to a late start. Exactly. So yes, that's yes. dark, man. That's like, uh, that's still PG-13, but now it's like PG-16. Or so, you know, it's like, it's, that's it's, right. it's, that's it's right. a little darker and that's fun. It's fun to dip the toe in the darkness. Yeah. Yeah. And then he so he then he uses some stri- stri- strategic moves here and some uh, obfuscations and because uh, he's talking about because he's asking Snuff about uh, the you know Larry Talbot as Wolf who helped him mm-hmm. and what does he say that that big wolf slash whatever dog is what he's going to say it, what it is oh you talk about when he when he's talking you talk you tell me. Yeah, so he's lying. He's lying about uh, the dog. He just says, "Yeah, his name's Lucky." That's right. I give him some of my food when he's around. He does favors for me. He hangs around Talbot's place too, you know, because yeah. Talbot saves scraps for him. 
He's too big for anyone to want to feed on a regular basis, though, which is why he doesn't right. have a real home, which is a great, it's totally believable. You know, that yeah. kind of works. Yes, that's correct. Um, it, it, all this obfuscation, as you said, I mean, you can't, can't reveal too much. And it's, there's a lot of strategy. There's a lot of, uh, you know, spy versus spy kind of stuff. You know, who's telling the truth? What are they telling? Are they telling the whole truth? You know, and. Uh, yeah, and so it's protecting. Yeah, Talbot's right. identity as a, a werewolf. And he's saying, yeah, you know, I don't know if he's a player or not, which is technically true. I think he is running the calculation still both ways at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if he is, Lucky's not his companion. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That reminded me of the previous chapter when when Snuff is talking to the wolf, Larry Talbot, and uh, says uh, when he realized what he is, he just uses the, the word where. Do you remember that? W-E-R-E. Like he doesn't say, yes. well, you're a werewolf. He just goes, where? <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. you're, a were, you're a werewolf. But anyway, I'm sorry. I, that's kind of a goofy, goofy thing. <laughs> no, but I, I noticed that. Didn't yeah. Like it. So, yeah, lucky. He's lucky. He's just too big for anybody to want to feed regularly. So he's just a tramp about town. And we see him now and again. Exactly. And then we have our little fun little conversation about eating uh you know, the whole you know, rats aren't as salty as bats. The tougher, yeah. though, you know, that kind yeah, of right. thing. I know, I know. Um, so you know, ultimately, we uh, we hear a discussion about the the good doctor toward the end here, right? Am I getting ahead of ourselves? No, I think that's I think that's where we're coming. We have this very very cool encounter. Yes. Um, and yeah, who do we meet? Who do we see? Well, yeah, so Snuff and Gray they head out to the the good doctor's place and uh, and uh, to check things out, and they are confronted with or they see in the distance and are eventually confronted with a, a big, big man in tattered clothing. And uh, he, his, his walking is very, you know, mechanical yet awkward at the same time. And he comes lumbering up and, and uh, wants to talk to the, wants to talk to the pretty animals. And uh, so we get, a, we get a real reminiscent scene of the, of the Frankenstein, Frankenstein movie here. It's really a, you know, call back to that in this scene because, but it's a cat in this scene. It's not a child, but um, so the, so, you know, this guy, this, who's going to be called the experiment man going forward. Um, ah. He, uh, he, he wants to caress the do- good dog. He has rudimentary, rudimentary language skills already. So he's saying in broken English, kind of, you know, good doggy. And so he understands what, and, and very kind to the dog and then sees the kitty as he says, and, wants to be as kind to her and it proves to be problematic uh, much like the movie when, when he is dealing with the child and it, so, yeah. So he starts to hurt Greymalk as he picks her up and strokes her and she yeah. cries out to snuff. You know, he's hurting me snuff help. So it's, being the gentleman, being the gentleman that he is snuff tries to intervene. Right. That's exactly right. And I, uh, I had horrible of mice and men flashbacks. Yeah, I know. Oh, God. The scene also. <laughs> it's like I never you, want to think of that. You, you are so not kidding. This Book is, uh, yeah, big time. Big time Lenny. Deal yeah. here. Really so does. They, remind, reminds me too of it tremendously. Yeah. So they meet the monster, snuff barks, doesn't really work. But then the, uh, then, then uh, the great doctor comes out and kind of gets, gets the cat out of the arms and they can, they can go off. Yeah. And, and it's, but it's kind of cool. He talks the, he talks the big guy down. Uh, in a, in a very kind way. So what we see is that the the good doctor does not treat this thing as a as an animal, you know whatever whatever this man is. He he he's very very you know nurturing 
and trying to help this this being through whatever earthly difficulties it's having interacting. Right. Yeah. So there's a, there's an empathy and, and a real love and care, it seems, from from the good doctor for this experiment, man. Yeah, and even he is. You're absolutely right. There's a there's a heart there, and even cracks a little wise with like raining cats and dogs. I see. So he's got right. like you know he's got a sense of humor. He's got a yeah a certain amount of charm charm for him. Right. Uh, and that's kind of how the chapter ends. I want to go back because I forgot to bring up something that I thought was cool and and important. Absolutely, uh, this happens. Conversation. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this happens with us all the yeah. time with us. <laughs> oh yeah, let's back up. Uh, yeah, so two two moments with uh, Greymalk and Snuff. Uh, one uh, talks about Greymalk making the closest sound I'd ever heard her manage to a laugh, a little rhythmic musical thing. And that just, again, we're showing their interpersonal relationship. We're hearing a little bit about how Snuff thinks of Greymalk, which is fun. But then there's this bomb dropped uh, or just summation, or I don't even know how, we, how I want to describe it. Uh, she goes... How many times in a century does the full moon rise on Halloween? Three or four? It varies, I responded. It's much. It's more interesting to ask on how many of those occasions do the appropriate people assemble to try for an opening or hold for a closing? Right. And right. Says, I, I couldn't guess. Like, this is your first, of course. And Snuff says, no. And I did not elaborate knowing what I had just given away. So he's, he's, he's made a mistake in the game. Mm-hmm. He's gotten a little too close personally, and he's revealed something to somebody he really doesn't know if he can trust or not. That's correct. And we see a ch- sort of a chink in the armor, right? And Completely. With these com- awesome strategists in this, you know, these total professionals and the cosmic pros in this game, and, uh, but they're still quite, uh, quite flawed. Exactly. Yeah. And we we combine that with Snuff's warning to Jack earlier about his interpersonal relationship, like that just kind of in, again reinforces what a possibility uh, that could happen, which yeah. is fun. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, doesn't it kind of remind you of like a the, the I, I've referenced it one other time, but like the world of espionage where you, you don't know you don't know who to trust, you don't know whether to trust yourself. You've forgotten which lies you've told and which you haven't. You've forgotten which truths you've told. And it's just, it's just bad things often happen because of that, right? So, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. They're in the middle of the game. Uh, so this was a pretty cool week. I'm excited about the next one. Yeah. Uh, anything else we should say about this one before we call it a day? I believe we have, uh, I believe, I, I, don't, I don't, nothing is glaring to me that we might have glossed over or, or missed completely. I think, I think we got it. Uh, I think we nailed it in terms of getting out the information we need to talk about. So. Yep. Uh, outstanding. Uh, my Much prediction fun. is Much that George, Georgia will not lose today. That's my yeah, prediction. I, I, was, I was hoping you, you stole my line. I was going <laughs> to say, and now, Michael, if you ask me to make a UGA <laughs> prediction today, I, I can almost guarantee that we will not lose. So. And I, I would say no injuries. No injuries. <laughs> I can't rule out any arrests, though. <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and I can go ahead and tell you we're we're not gonna we're not gonna cover the spread and <laughs> don't don't fool around with the over under either because uh, this is not a good day for gambling. So. Exactly, <laughs> Sam Merritt. Thank you for your time today and for this week and for this month. I truly enjoyed this week of reading and this conversation. Uh, I look forward to next week. Until I do we too. Meet again. 
I do Go too, ahead. and I thoroughly appreciate uh, spending this time with you. I thank you. It's a, it's tremendously fun, and I appreciate being included. Outstanding, uh, Dana Dagohoy. Until we meet again. <laughs>